Matthew chapter 24. This is our second half of the chapter, and it's, it's a heavy-duty one, as we uh, got into it last week. If you remember, Jesus is leaving the temple with the disciples, and the disciples point out the beauty of the temple. And, and, and it was. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world, and they were shocked when Jesus tells them that not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. This gorgeous temple, this white marble and gold that was on the rooftop, he tells them it's all going to go away. Not one stone left on, it, on another. And these were massive stones. The stones that made up the outer wall and some of the inner walls were huge. They were 16 feet wide, or 20 feet long, 16 feet wide, some of them 12 feet high. Massive stones. And... We talked about how perfectly that was fulfilled. I'll mention a little bit again as we get into part of the Bible study today. Uh, but from that, the disciples asked Jesus some questions. Now, they probably thought of it as kind of just being one. And as I mentioned last week, there was a different from, difference between what they said, what they understood that they were saying, and how we hear it, right? And so what they asked was, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, of course, we hear that and we think of Jesus' second coming. We think of the end of all things, the end of the tribulation, the millennial and the millennium and the new Jerusalem. They weren't thinking any of that. What they were literally asking is when is everything going to change and when are you going to rise to power? That was their question. But Jesus gives them an answer that goes way beyond that. It gets into all of the details of all of mankind, clear to the end of all things. And he describes, starting where we looked at last week, the lead up to the tribulation, which is the last seven years of this age of mankind, the worst time in the history of the world. Uh, he describes the lead up to it and certain events that will happen within it. We also talked about the importance of understanding that Jesus' description of these things in Matthew 24 is not linear, and it is also not in a chronological order. He actually describes the end times and the times leading up to it four different times. And each time he gives us a little different focus. And so verses 4 through 14 are the seasons before the tribulation. This is man's behavior, things going on in the world, how mankind is responding to it. Verses 15 through 25 are the events in the tribulation that specific are specific to Israel. And uh, that also lines up with uh, Revelation chapters 12 and 13. Verses 26 through 35, Jesus speaks about the great sign of the Son of Man appearing in heaven. And this is him returning for the church. This is the rapture of the church, and it lines up with Revelation chapter 6. Now, we looked at those three descriptions last week. And so this week, we're going to get into the last description, uh, starting in verse 26, and, uh, excuse me, starting in verse 36, and which also talks about the rapture of the church, and then some of the parables and instruction he's, he's going to give after that. Um, and again, this tells us 
What do we do in light of all of this? And I think that's the big question when it comes to prophecy. Why does the Lord give prophecy to us? Is it for us to somehow change things? Is it for us to somehow be involved in it, to bring it about, or, or to stop it? It's none of those. The reason the Lord, one of the main reasons, I shouldn't say the only reasons, but one of the main reasons the Lord gives us prophecy is to show that he is the only one that knows the end from the beginning. Prophecy sets God apart from everything else, everyone else. Every other religion in the world wouldn't even dare to prophesy the future. And the Lord lays it out with absolute clarity. One of the criticisms of the book of Daniel is that the prophecies are so accurate, it must have been written after the fact. No. It's just that God revealed those things with detail to, to Daniel through the angel, and God knows what's up. And for us, that's an, that should be a great encouragement. These aren't random events. And we talked a lot about that when we went through the book of Revelation, that uh, these things have a purpose, and even though they're heavy, very heavy, you even find the Apostle John more than once in the book of Revelation saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. As bad as this is, as heavy as this is, as, as heartbreaking as this will be, even so, come Lord Jesus. Right? And so there's a double-edged sword when it comes to prophecy. That, yes, we look forward to the Lord's return. We're glad that we serve a God that knows all things. But we also know the direction that the world is going. And it's going to get worse, not better. But even so, come Lord Jesus, right? All right, well, let's pray and we'll get in to the rest of the chapter. Lord God, thank you so much that you do know all things. You know what's going to happen, how it's going to go down, and Lord, what our part in it is, is to share your love, to occupy until you come, to give out the gospel to the lost. Lord, speak to us today as we get into your word and apply these things to our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So starting in verse 32. Wait, let me find my spot. Here we go. Verse 32. It says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also... When you see all these things, know that it is near, at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. We talked a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 21 about the importance of the fig tree. The fig tree is a... a symbol that's used several times, many times in the Old Testament, that points to Israel, or is used as an example of Israel, especially when it comes to Israel and their walk with the Lord. So not just Israel as a nation, not Israel politically, it has to do with Israel and their relationship with the Lord, that what he's doing in the nation, fulfilling prophecies, keeping his promises, all of those things, that that's how the fig tree is usually used in reference to Israel. And, uh, and so here Jesus uses this parable of the fig tree. And some people say, well, it's just like the other pictures that he used. That he talked about lightning flashing from the east into the west. 
And then when the birds of prey gather, they're the carcasses. So you, you, you can see these things from a distance. No one's going to miss them is the idea. And some people say that's all that this is. Well, I think that's part of it. I think Jesus is saying, hey, these are obvious signs that when a tree starts to put forth buds, you know, you know it's springtime. You know summer's just around the corner. And so he's, he is saying that with the signs of the times and the things he's spoken about, that when these things start taking place, you know it's close. In fact, he uses the, the term at the door, man. It is knocking on the door to come in. But I do believe there's more to it than that because he could have used so many things if that's all his example was. There's so many other ways that he could say it's obvious. But he chooses the fig tree uh, because it is specific to Israel. And I believe that this is an important prophecy, um, one that's easily missed if we just roll over the top of it going, oh, he's just saying it won't be missed. No, there's a prophecy to this, and, and I think it, there are some things that are given here in the last part of chapter 24 that I believe give us a very clear timing, not the day or the hour of the Lord's return, but the season of it, and this is one of them. Um, now, Jesus has already spoken in this chapter and even before this that Israel is, is heading for some hard times. That because they've rejected him as the Messiah, judgment's going to fall. Jerusalem's going to be leveled. The temple will be absolutely destroyed. Now, that's a big deal. And Israel being defeated, Jerusalem being absolutely desolate, a hard winter is on the way for Israel. More than they could have understood. And so Jesus uses this picture of a fig tree recovering from winter. And again, I think it, it's very important. Israel is going to rise from the ashes. Not only survive, but become healthy and strong. Now again, they had no idea what was ahead. In 70 AD, Rome comes in to crush Israel's rebellion and is merciless. That they killed anybody that they were concerned about, and those they didn't kill, they basically just sold them into slavery all over the world, in the known world. They just scattered a nation. Never in the history of the world has any nation been conquered, displaced, and ever come back to reform. Ever. It's super effective. It's why the Babylonians did it. It's why Alexander the Great did it. Alexander the Great had it down to a science where he already planned where he was moving the group, right? So he'd conquer a town and he'd send them to the last place that he'd conquered. And he just kept everyone in rotation. And it stole all of their culture. It stole all of their history. And it made them an absolute non-threat. Very effective. And that's what Rome did with Israel. Again, no one's ever recovered, yet Israel has done it twice. When the Babylonians came in, and then when Rome came in. <laughs> they've, re they've kept their language, they've kept their culture, they've kept their history. And they are a nation again. It's amazing. After all of that time, 1,800 years, they were reformed in 1948 and became a nation again. And 
Again, as I said, I believe that this is important as a, as a prophecy. Because Jesus says, this generation will by no means pass away. And I've had people say, well, obviously Jesus was wrong about that. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking about their generation. No, he's not. If he was talking to the generation of the disciples, those that were hearing Jesus in that day, then yeah, that generation came and went, and the Lord didn't return then. He's talking about the generation that sees the fig tree blossom. Not just survive. And again, Israel could have come back together and just struggled to survive, as many of the nations in that region of the world do. But look at what they become. They're amazing. In every sense. In education, in military, in, in everything Israel does, it prospers. The fig tree not only has made it through winter, it is healthy and blossoming. And we are the generation who has seen that. By no means will this generation pass away without all of these things being fulfilled. That's, that's important, we understand that. Before Israel was a nation, that was the biggest criticism of this section of Scripture. The people would, would talk about the Lord coming back, and they'd go, the Bible also talks about Israel being a nation, and they are not. Nor will they ever be again. Wrong. Born in a day, the nation recovered for the second time. Awesome. Again, only the hand of God could accomplish those things. And we are the nation, the generation that has seen it. Verse 36 goes on and says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be, at the grind, will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And as I mentioned last week, anytime somebody says they know, they're wrong. <laughs> Whatever book comes out and someone goes, oh, it's absolutely going to happen this day. No, I can guarantee it won't be that day. Um, and I'm always amazed at how well those books sell every time they come out. And every few years they do, and they've got some alignment of the stars or some prophecy or something, and I just go, not that day. Um, Jesus doesn't even give us that, or try to, or want to. He wants to give us the seasons and what they look like, the times that we'll be living in, and how we can know. He's already talked about at the beginning of section of uh, 
chapter 24, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes. Uh, and we talked about how we see these things growing, happening with either greater frequency or greater intensity. But here he describes them also like the days of Noah. And there's a couple in interesting points to this, important parts of what Jesus is saying. Again, I think there's something that gives us a key point in the timing of it. Um, now first of all, we know that in the days of Noah, mankind had become very evil. The, the thoughts and the intents of their heart were evil all the time. They were very selfish and uh, violent. And we can look at our day and our age, certainly in our nation, and go, man, eh, it sounds familiar, right? We've become very self-focused. It's about us and what I want, and I'm not as concerned about you, you know, and, and evil's being sold as good. But I believe that where we find the key timing, again, it would be easy to, to roll right over it and miss it, is that Jesus says that they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage and marrying. And we go, Okay. What he's describing is, is that it is a day like any other day. It's normal life. There isn't some great theme music, cinematic music playing, and people are like, do you hear that? That's terrifying, you know. Something bad is coming. I can sense it, you know. And we always get those warnings in movies, and, and, and that's not how life works, right? That, that as things happen in our life, and I, and I know that some of us have experienced that, where an event takes place that has changed you forever, and it was started like a day like any other day, and then the phone rang, and then somebody showed up to give you the bad news, and it was a day like any other day. This is how it will be for the whole world. They're going to get up, just like they did in the days of Noah, got up, go to work, making plans, getting together with the guys tonight. We're having a wedding this weekend. It's a day like any other day until the flood came and took them all away. And Jesus says, and so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus links this to the rapture. Again, part of the timing, the rapture of the church, that moment where Jesus will appear in the clouds, Take away every believer from the earth, which is going to be a lot. Yeah. I mean, consider the world population conservatively, very, very, very conservatively, that's a billion people gone. Just the chaos that that would ensue. Now, you already has mentioned this in his third description of the end times, Matthew 24, uh, verse 31, he said, and then he will send out his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four corners, from one end of heaven to the other. And it's very much like Paul's description. Actually, Paul describes it a couple different times, but uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says this, for he himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is the rapture. Man, this is the day where we're just taken away. But again, here in Matthew 24, he says that it's a day like any other day. 
normal, ordinary, just like it was for the days, people in the days of Noah. Verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Again, describing normal day. These guys got up and went to work in the field. These women went to do the grinding of the, of the flour or whatever it was. It's a day like any other day. And then we're gone. Now, the big discussion is, does the rapture happen at the beginning of the tribulation or before the tribulation starts? The middle of the tribulation, which is, we talked about that being the pinnacle of what happens with Israel, or at the end of all things of the tribulation, the end of seven years. Um, and I've got good friends that have all of those views. I don't think this is, it should not be a divisive topic like sometimes it can be. I, I really think we need to understand it's not a matter of salvation, what somebody's views on this is, but I do think it changes the way we live now. And as Jesus is pointing to these things, again, it's a day like any other day. Once the tribulation starts, and there's a very distinct starting point that's given to us there in Revelation chapter 6. That day that happens, a worldwide earthquake will take place, and that is the starting point of the tribulation. From that point, we know exactly the day of the midpoint and the end. The only day we don't know is the start. And it's the only day that will be the normal day. Once the tribulation begins, there will never be a normal day for the next seven years. But the, when it starts, it will be a day like any other day. Now Jesus uses this analogy or this parable in verse 43, he says, If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. Now this is a kind of a strange parable because Jesus in this parable is the thief. And that's just kind of a different way of looking at Jesus, right? And really the whole point is, is that if you know something big is going to happen, but you don't know when, then what's your job? To watch. To pay attention. If you know somebody's planning to rob your house, what are you going to do about it? You're going to pay attention. And so that is his point when it comes to his coming for the church, is that we would pay close attention. We know the generation who will see it. That's us. We know what the seasons and the signs will be, and we see so many of them right now. And so what we're looking for is for his return. Now, this is a great description that we're given here throughout the chapter of uh, 24, Matthew 24. As I've mentioned several times, Revelation 6 is also very important how it lines up. Um, that Jesus, and really just kind of give a, a timeline, using Matthew, using Revelation chapter 6, this is kind of what it's going to look like. Jesus is going to appear on the clouds. And the whole world will see him. No one's going to miss it. Like lightning that flashes from the east to the west, nobody will miss it. And at that moment, the church is gone. But simultaneously, there's a worldwide earthquake. Every mountain will come down. Every island will disappear. So really, whether somebody's 
pre, mid, or post living in Hawaii, every island disappearing, you're pre, you're gone. You're, we're all out of here when it starts. There also sounds like uh, with this worldwide earthquake that there's going to be some meteor collisions, stars falling from the heavens, and, uh, and the earthquake itself, this is interesting, not to get too weird or nerdy and like zing off rabbit trail like I can do, but <laughs> people will say, a worldwide earthquake, that's ridiculous. Could never happen. It already has. It's called a polar axis shift. And we know geologically, there's been at least one. It lines up very closely with the flood of Noah. And what's described in Revelation chapter 6 sounds like another one. Isaiah also talks about it, that the earth wobbles to and fro like a drunkard, slipping from its axis is the idea. Um, see, that was a short rabbit trail. I'm right back on track again. <laughs> and in this, this worldwide earthquake and meteor strikes and what are all these other things and the church being taken away, which honestly, I don't think it will even be missed at first. With a worldwide earthquake and cities being leveled, no one's looking for us. It won't be till later they're like, wait a second, where did that billion people go? And they were all washed away. Um, the world will mourn because they have seen Jesus Christ come for his church, the great sign of heaven, and they will realize that they have been wrong. And many of them, many of them will refuse to repent. Starting the worst seven years the world has ever known or ever will know. Now verse 45, Jesus gives, our, gives us our instructions with all of this in mind. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him a portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping, gnashing of teeth. This description, uh, like I said, gives us our instructions. Because we could look at all of this and go, okay, so what do we do about it? Yeah, we can see these, these signs and these times. We can see prophecy being fulfilled and go, yeah, this makes sense. It's just the way it was laid, it's been laid out for us in Scripture. But what do we do? Well, Jesus has actually already given us the uh, instructions a couple of times. Um, but even though we might know it in our heads, I think sometimes we still get off track about what we're supposed to do. You know, are we supposed to make new laws, try and change society or try and stop these events from happening, somehow alter prophecy? Are we supposed to just store up all of our goods and things in case the worst goes down? Jesus' instruction is really clear. We are to watch. Verse 42, he said, Therefore, or watch therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord's coming. 
Here he says the same thing with the parable of the wise and the evil steward. Now, it's important. It's not the wise and the foolish. It's the wise and the evil. Right? It isn't just that the the other steward went, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. He was evil. That there's a key component when it comes to that evil servant. The wise servant, however, uh, was not caught off guard when his master returned. That though he didn't know the exact hour, he was able to just go, this kind of looks when my master would return. And he was faithfully doing what he'd been given to do, right? That when his master arrived, he was so doing is what Jesus says. And so what have we been given to do? Well, share the gospel. Bring people to Jesus Christ. Keep our focus on heaven, right? The wise steward was put in charge of others, giving them their food in due season. We've been put in charge of others, the lost to bring the gospel to them, and to encourage other believers, again, keeping our focus on heaven, not getting distracted with the things of this world. However, the evil steward, he had one component, one idea, one thought, and it completely ruined him. And it was this, my master delays his coming. That's it. It's the only thing he thought. And as a result began to beat his fellow servants, began to eat and drink with drunkards. There are those, and, it, and it's a good warning for us, man, if we can look at things and say, Jesus can't come back today. Oh, the temple hasn't been rebuilt. One world government hasn't been formed. Mark of the beast isn't out there. Antichrist hasn't been revealed. Jesus isn't coming back today. My master delays his coming, is what you're saying. He can't come back today. And it's very dangerous. Like I said, it's, I know people that believe the rapture will be in the middle of the tribulation. I know people that believe it will be in the end. But with all of them that I look at who have a healthy walk with the Lord, they all go, but I could be wrong. So I know he could be coming back, right? They look at scripture, they read it a little bit differently, but they'll, they leave that opening to say, hey, the Lord could be coming back today. I very easily could be wrong. But a person that says, there's no way he can come back today. It's going to take them down a road that is so deadly and dangerous. Causing division, causing destruction, beating their fellow believers, being way too hard on them, how they ought to do things all differently. It's an easy way to start fulfilling the things of the flesh, eating and drinking with drunkards is the example Jesus gives. And again, I'm not saying that every person that has a mid or post view is going to turn into this type of person. But if we want to guard against these things, if we want to make sure that we are loving people, if we want to learn to love people more and love other Christians more, if we want to make less opportunity for our flesh to, to rule over us, if we're tired of that, then we should be watching for our master's return. This is, the, I think, the best safeguard for us to go, when temptation comes our way, when we start to get angry with other believers, when we start to get angry with anybody, we can go, you know what? If the Lord came back right now, what, what would he find of me? 
Would he find me angry and obsessed and upset about things that are so temporary? They're not even a blip on the radar, and I'm so focused on him right now. Or would he come back and find me so doing? Would he find me doing what he's given me to do, loving on people, giving out the gospel, and staying focused on heaven? We want to be those, of course, that will be found so doing. And I believe the key is that we're people looking for our master's return. Again, I've had people say, yeah, but, you know, the the disciples believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, and they were wrong. But it's still the right way to live. And and honestly, that's that's my one of my smart mouth arguments with people that are that are <laughs> mid or post. I'll just say, well, the disciples were priests, so I'm gonna stick with them. Whenever Paul or the other writers in the New Testament talked about Jesus' return, it was what's next. And their instruction was, look up, your rede- your redemption draws near. I want to be in that camp, because even if Jesus does not come back in our lifetime. He knows when he needs to. He's not slack in keeping his promises, as some consider slackness. He's got the right timing, but it's the right way for us to live. It teaches us how to love people. And it keeps our priorities of this life in the right framework. It's all temporary. It's all going away. You know, you get to the end of Revelation, and it all disappears. The old heaven and the old earth dissolve. And a new heaven and a new earth comes. So it doesn't matter what kingdoms, what kings, what treasure, what legacy, it's all gone. But heaven remains. Jesus' word remains. And I believe that's why he, he finishes that up. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. All of these things, this temple, this city, this kingdom, it will all go, but my words are forever. And for us to, again, be brought back to that place and be people that are looking for our master's return, it just sets everything in order. And it sets us in a place of just being those that give out the good news, knowing that our time is short. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Again, that you are all-knowing. Nothing escapes you. You know perfect timing, and you know when your return and, and all of the details of it need to come about. And God, we want to be those who are serving you in a right way, with a right heart, and that you would find us doing what you've put us in charge of. God, loving each other and loving the lost and bringing people to a knowledge of you. God, use us however you want. We pray that you would change our hearts, that you'd break our hearts, and that you'd give us a heart for the lost. Lord, use us to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.